You're listening to a North Valley Church podcast. Thanks so much for joining. For more information and resources, you can visit us online at northvalley.org. All right, well, good morning. Good to be with you. Good to be with you. Uh, My name is Ryan. For those of you that are new, so glad you joined us today. We're going to have a great service. Uh, I want to say special thanks to the worship team. It's good to worship, isn't it? It's really good. Um, I-68, uh, uh, Danny is from I-68, our Mexico missions partner. And so incredible experience when you go down to Mexico. He leads worship for us. Uh, his father is here. He's the founder real quick. Tony doesn't want me doing this, but Tony, stand up for me real quick. Give this man a big round of applause. So, so proud. Thank you, Gavin, for uh, making sure he stood up. So. Um, it's good to be together. Um, I want to say thank you as well for our, ch- our church, our volunteers. Um, last week wasn't an easy week for our church, um, but you guys uh, continue to impress me and uh, just a really strong uh, group of folks. So we had our truck or treat event and it went incredible. We had uh, hundreds and hundreds of folks uh, showed up for the very first time. And I want to say special thanks to all our volunteers uh, that showed up, made that a special night. Uh, so let's just take a moment and say thank you and celebrate them for a moment. Um, really cool. Hey, um, this morning I am going to be uh, teaching again out of uh, the Gospel of John. We're in chapter 9. If you o- got a Bible, do open it up. Uh, John chapter 9, verses uh, 13 through 34. Uh, the title of the message today is Understanding and reaching unbelievers, uh, understanding and reaching unbelievers. All of us were unbelievers at one point or of time or another. It is a wrong idea to say, well, I was born a Christian. No, you were not. You were not born a Christian. The Bible says you were born a sinner, separated from the love of God, from the life of God. But something happened in your spiritual journey where you move from unbelief to belief if indeed you are a Christian. Um, this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to understand unbelievers. I want to point out four common characteristics of unbelievers. Specifically, we're going to look at the life of Pharisees. Uh, Pharisees were the religious folks. They were the people that had all the rules, all the regulation, and they uh, were still rejecting Jesus Christ as the Messiah. The, um, what we're going to see to start off these uh, four common char- characteristics is the first one is this, is that unbelievers can get stuck in the rituals. Um, they can get stuck. So let me pause just for a moment and illustrate how stuck. Um, several years ago, about five and a half years ago, before uh, this campus was opened up, it was basically a wasteland. You couldn't even drive a vehicle onto the property. Uh, we bought this property during the recession. It used to be a bar in a restaurant over at our kids' building. And it was funny, during the first service, I had folks show up and they're like, Pastor Ryan, uh, I'm like, hey, have you been here before? No, this is our first Sunday. Well, actually, we've been here before. We, we used to attend the bar. And I'm like, you're okay. You know, glad to have you. And so uh, it was a bar and a restaurant over at the kids' place. We, we say at North Valley, from the bar room to the Sunday school classroom there, you will find North Valley. And uh, so we renovated that, opened that, re- redeemed that. This used to be a wedding venue. It is st- we uh, redeemed it, restored it. It's a beautiful wedding venue today, um, and it's used to, for the praise of Jesus Christ and the equipping of believers and for unbelievers to experience God. But I want to tell you a story about getting stuck on the campus real quick, um, and I think it's fitting. I invited a gentleman um, by the name of Pastor Don Wilson. It's that little church down the road if you're not familiar with who he is or the church. But anyway, he... Um, He's a man, I think, that exemplifies uh, uh, a love for uh, reaching unbelievers. Um, has done a really good job with that over the years. 
Um, he showed up on the campus one day. This is prior to this ever being open. He, I said, Pastor Don, I want to take you around in my truck. And we're going to drive around the campus, and um, we're gonna, uh, I want to show you the property. And he was wearing a suit, and I said, why are you wearing a suit? He said, because i got to meet the governor uh, in about an hour, hour and a half. And I said, oh, okay, well, I'll, let's hope we don't get stuck. And he says, okay, so we're driving around the campus, and then sure enough, I'm romping around by the North Valley Kids building, and all of a sudden, I high-centered on a big rock. And Pastor Don's like, uh-oh, and I'm like thinking, I just smashed out my transmission or transfer gaze. This is terrible. So he's like, hey, let me get out of the truck and rock it with you or push it. And I'm like, he's wearing a suit. I'm like, no, I don't think that's a good idea. He gets out anyway, and he's like, come on, floor it. And I'm thinking mud's just going to go, you know, and I'm thinking this is not going to be good. He's going to hate me for this. So anyway, we get out, push, and romp around. And then finally, uh, we get in the truck. And what we had to do, if you've ever been high-centered on a vehicle, you have to sometimes rock it back and forth so that the tires can catch uh, some, fr uh, get some friction and then drive off. So we're sitting in there and we're both going like this, back and forth, back and forth. And we're really throwing our shoulders into it and we're gassing it at the same time. Finally, and we ramp off. He slaps my knee and goes, woo, reminds me of the days of the farm, Pastor Ryan. And I'm like, this guy's great. Like he loved that we got stuck. Um, Today, what I want to do is I want to show you that uh, we can all get stuck, um, but unbelievers get really, really stuck, and it's very, very hard to get out. I can't tell you how many folks have showed up to our church, perhaps out of a Catholic background, or perhaps out of a Mormon background, or perhaps out of some kind of religious background, and they think, listen to me, they think that Christianity and a, is a bunch of rules and regulations, and they are stuck. They do not understand that uh, Christianity is an invitation to a relationship, not rules, not at regulations. It's an invitation to a relationship with the high king of heaven, the maker of heaven and earth, that we can have a relationship with God through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Amen? So here's the deal. What we're going to see is these uh, religious people, uh, but when I say religious, I mean the ones that are stuck on rules and regulations don't understand that there's an invitation to have a personal relationship with the living God. He is Jesus in the flesh right there before them, and they don't get it. Unbelievers can get stuck on the rituals. Let's look at it. Verse 13, it says that they brought... Uh, to the Pharisees, the man who had formerly been blind. Remember last week I told you about the man that Jesus had healed. He was blind from birth. It was a, a very unique encounter. He sees a man born blind. He takes pity on him. He's begging beside the temple. He heals the man. He did something very awkward. He spits in the dirt, grabs the saliva, makes some mud, rubs it on the guy's eyes. Everybody's thinking, this is ridiculous, embarrassing. He goes and he says, go wash it off over here, and then you'll see. Well, the guy does it, and he can see. I was reading in the newspaper this morning about an individual that was, uh, went blind and he's working his way through and going to prepare to run a marathon. And if you've ever lost your sight before, it's pretty a scary experience. But imagine being born blind. This man uh, never saw his mom, never saw his dad, never saw his brothers, never saw his friends. He is healed. How amazing is that? He's healed. And then uh, the Pharisees and the religious people start questioning everything. They're stuck. What are they stuck on? They're stuck on their rituals. Look at verse 14. Now, it was a Sabbath day. Um, this would have been celebrated on Saturday. It was a day of rest. It's the fourth commandment mentioned in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 through 11. Um, it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. They had a lot of problems with that. 
Uh, because uh, there was a lot of different extra biblical rules and regulations about what you could and could not do on the Sabbath. Just FYI, the Sabbath today, it's the only commandment, one of the Ten Commandments that's not carried over into the New Testament. And the answer is, the reason why is because Jesus is our Sabbath. He is our rest. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. Um, as believers, we are to uh, set aside a day, is set aside time where we can uh, dedicate it to the Lord and grow. And, and in the New Testament, we see that uh, that idea of Sabbath was shifted over to Sunday as a day of celebration and joy of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so, uh, Pastor Craig, a guy, a buddy of mine, he's here in the church today. He wrote a book about uh, the Ten Commandments and the role that it plays. Um, I've got a couple of copies. If anybody wants one right after service, I'll give it to you. Uh, these guys are hung up on that. Look what it says. Verse 15, so the Pharisees again asked him how he'd re received his sight, and he said to them, the blind man speaks up, he put mud in, on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Now, verse 16, again, you can see how they're stuck in their rituals. Verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, uh, for he does not keep the, help me out, Sabbath. So he's not keeping to the extra rules, the extra regulations these folks were making. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? Some people are saying, well, wait a second, he's doing something really good, though. Surely he's not all evil. There's a lot of question and debate, and there's division. Look what the last part of the verse 16 says, and there was a division among them. Uh, the unbelievers, just FYI, who are the people that brought the man to the Pharisees? If you look back in your Bible at verse 8, it says that they were neighbors of the blind man. Unbelieving neighbors thought, this is ridiculous. The name of Jesus is going out everywhere. We better take the blind man who can now see over to the religious authorities and get him checked out. We got to investigate this thing, investigate this blind man to see if this is truly authentic or not. Understanding unbelievers, four characteristics uh, of the unbelieving Pharisees. Number one, unbelievers, like I said, can get stuck on the rituals. The unbelievers, uh, Pharisees back then, they were stuck in their traditions. They're, they were stuck on their extra-biblical ideas. There was, in the Jewish faith, and still is, it's what's called the Mishnah. There's, uh, with the Mishnah, it's a collection of sayings and ideas that are not even in the Bible that are trying to add extra rules or build what I would say extra fences around religiosity. It's what we would call legalism. It's when you take something that uh, is true and then you add five truths to it or what you think is true and all sorts of extra rules. Their traditions were extra biblical. It was called the Mishnah. There was 39 different categories on how you could operate on the Sabbath. Uh, their trouble was Jesus. Jesus didn't keep the Sabbath like they wanted. Why is that? Because Jesus shows up and he says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the fulfillment of the law. Uh, you don't need this Sabbath. You need me. In fact, Jesus kind of made a common occurrence to break the rituals. What he did seven different times uh, mentioned where he uh, heals on the Sabbath. He heals a man who was in M Matthew uh, chapter 12. He heals a man in the synagogue. Mark chapter 1, a demoniac. He heals him. Peter's, uh, the apostle Peter's mother-in-law heals her. Um, a man with dropsy, Luke 14, he heals him on the Sabbath. John 5, a paralytic man by the pool of Bethesda, which I taught on. And here in John 9, he heals this blind man. What about unbelievers today? How do they get stuck in rituals too? Uh, how do they get stuck? Uh, I'll say this. Think about it like this. So many people, when you ask them, what is your faith background? They'll say, well, I'm Christian. Oh, really? That's great. Awesome. Tell me about your faith. Well, I pray. 
I attend church from time to time, not a lot. Uh, I was infant baptized, okay? Um, and so what is it like to have a relationship with God? I don't, I don't know. I just told you. I just said I pray every once in a while. I, I, I have given money to the church, but here's what happens. Unbelievers are stuck in the rituals and do not understand that there's an invitation for a relationship with Jesus Christ. The only thing that saves us, ladies and gentlemen, is not our rituals. It's a relationship to Jesus Christ. We can have fellowship with God the Father through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, I'm the truth, and I am the life. Nobody gets to the Father but through Jesus. Amen? So what you need to understand so many different times, if you're out trying to share your faith to an unbeliever, guess what's happening? In their mind, they're thinking, oh, will you pray? Oh, will you been baptized? Oh, so that's the extent of your Christian faith. What you need to do more than anything is lean in and say, let me tell you about the relationship that I have with Jesus Christ. That's a game changer. Well, what does that relationship look like? Well, the Bible tells me that I have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit helps me to make decisions. Jesus Christ is a friend to sinners. God the Father, I, I'm in a relationship with the, the Trinitarian God, which is incredible. But your life, you are following not rituals. You are following a person. Jesus said, come, follow me. That's not an invitation to rituals. That's not an invitation to a bunch of rules. It's an invitation to the relationship that is most primary to who you are as a human being. He is the creator. You are his created. Amen? Unbelievers do not understand oftentimes that there's a relationship. They get stuck in the rituals. And you need to get in that truck and rock the truck until they get unstuck. you got to help people to understand that, that many people, when you're talking about Christianity, they're stuck. They're stuck. They're stuck in the prayers. They're stuck in the liturgy. They're stuck in the attendance. They don't get it. These folks did not get it. Number two, four characteristics of the unbelievers unbelievers, you're going to see how they can be super skeptical. It's normal. Uh, verse 17, so they said again to the blind man, well, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? Notice what it says in verse 17. So they said, help me finish it. So they said, uh, no, let's do it. So they said, there you go. Let's do that again. So they said, again, again and again and again and again. They're, why are they asking the same questions over and over again? Because they're skeptical. So they said again to the blind man, remember, the neighbors of the blind man brought him in. They bring him before the Pharisees, the religious authorities, and now the, the religious authorities, they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? What do you say about Jesus? What do you say about him? He said, well, uh, he's a prophet, at least. At least he's a prophet. Jesus says, is the prophet. He's the final greatest prophet. Verse 18, the Jews did not believe. They did not believe. The Jews did not believe. They did not believe. This is the problem with Judaism today. They do not believe Jesus is the Messiah. He simply maybe was a good man, a good teacher, but he definitely is not the Lord. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man. Imagine that. That's kind of embarrassing. Let's go get the parents involved. They called the parents of the man who had received his sight, and they asked them, have you ever heard this statement before? Is this your son? I remember uh, folks would tell my dad that, is this your son? My, my, my dad would look and go, no, I don't know him. I don't know. <laughs> Not my boy. <laughs> uh, is this your son? Who you say, notice that, who, who you say 
was born blind. How insulting is that? You got a blind kid as a parent. Is this your son? Yeah, it's my son. You say he was born blind. Are you tricking us? How then does he now see? Verse 20, his parents answered, we know that this is our son. You know, like, hey, hello. Yes, it is our son. And that he was born blind. But verse 21, but how he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know how, who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age, meaning he's old enough. He can talk for himself. He will speak for himself. Now, here's a little side note. I'll give you some backstory here. They're not quite telling them the whole truth. They know what happened. That boy came home. Can't you imagine what that was like? Mom, Dad, son, why are you so excited? I see you. What? Jesus healed me. They knew. There's no way. They knew. Verse 22, the apostle John gives us the commentary. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. That's the commentary. That's the insider note that John the apostle, who's walking around with Jesus, sees all this take place. Jesus' nearest and dearest disciple recorded that for you and me to understand a little bit about what's going on. They're afraid. They didn't want to get kicked out of the faith. That's what that meant, is not just you're out of our attendance. You're out forever. You are an unbeliever, unloved, unwanted, unworthy you are no more. Verse 23, therefore his parents said, um, he was put out of the synagogue, therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So verse 24, picking up in verse 24. So for the second time, again and again and again, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. So they tell the man who'd been born blind, why don't you give glory to God? That's interesting. Note that. We'll come back to that. We know that this man is a sinner. Uh, he answered, the, the blind man answers, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that I was blind, now I see. That second uh, characteristic of unbelievers or unbelievers are skeptical. When you encounter unbelievers, there's a high level of skepticism. If you are an unbeliever, you're not a person who says, I'm confident I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I live for him. I'm sure there's a fair deal of skepticism that haunts you oftentimes. Let's look at these Pharisees that were unbelievers. These Pharisees were not satisfied. They were very skeptical with the personal testimony of the blind man. They said all things against him. They did not believe in the miracle. They thought it might be a fake healing they might, thought, they might have thought this is uh, the parents are, are lying too. And then they go on to say, when they say give glory to God, I do not think they're saying um, give glory to God. They could be saying give glory to God, not to Jesus, you were healed. They could be saying that. Hey, give glory to God, but don't include Jesus. But I think probably more so what they're saying is give glory to God in the sense of tell the truth. Why don't you give glory to God and quit lying? Give glory to God and tell the truth. Um, there's a lot of skepticism, and let me pause for a moment for some of you who have had doubts in your Christian faith. Uh, you're a genuine believer, but you've had doubts. Uh, that's okay to have doubts. Thomas was one of the disciples. He was a doubting disciple. Remember, he said, uh, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, uh, Jesus appears and then in a locked room and Thomas is there and he's like, if it's you, let me, let me see your hands. And Jesus doesn't say, shut up, Thomas. He says, here you go. Here's, here's my hands. Uh, here's the side. I was pierced. Um, there's a difference, though, between doubt and disbelief. Uh, doubt has, it has uh, elements of faith. Disbelief lacks faith. It's okay to have doubts like a Thomas. He didn't disbelieve Jesus was who he said he was. He just had some doubts. 
As a believer, for me, I remember in college, I had a lot of doubts. I was, uh, just became a Christian right outside of high school. Um, I kind of looked back at my life and I thought, you know why I made a decision to follow Jesus Christ? Because my life was a train wreck. I was that kid. I was a kid who made all the bad choices. My dad didn't even want to claim me sometimes, you know, and rightfully so, defaming the, the Rice family name. I'm the train wreck. I'm saved. I go into college now and I look back and I'm like, what if I just made an emotional decision? What if this whole thing with Christianity is really not what it is? And what if I'm just doing a bunch of rules and I'm just making myself better? What if, what if, what if? And I take world religion. I'm at a secular university uh, studying business. I'm studying worldview religion. Um, the professor did a fantastic job teaching me Eastern and Western religions. And I did have some doubts. However, here's the good news. Through all the doubt, I pressed through and studied, and I looked at all the religions, and I'm like, Jesus is Lord. He is so unique compared to all these others. That season of doubt built my strength so I could understand. I wrote a persuasive paper to the professor uh, that Jesus was the Christ. I kid you not, one year later, that man died in the hallway of a heart attack. And I thank God I wrote that paper. I found out he was a Jewish man. He was not a, a Christian. Um, and I wrote that paper. My prayer is I see him in heaven. What's my point? My point is, is doubt is okay to have, but skepticism is a whole level of disbelief. These individuals did not believe at all. This is why so many times when you're encountering unbelievers, here's my encouragement to you, is that you can connect with them through your own struggles and your doubts. It's okay to have doubts. But to have disbelief completely without any faith towards Jesus Christ, that's where the problems come. Um, unbelievers are incredibly skeptical. Number three, unbelievers can be irrational. We're going to see how that unfolds with the irrationality of the Pharisees picking up in verse 26. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? They've asked this question so many times. They keep asking the same questions. It's not logical. Have you ever had somebody just keep asking the same questions over and over? And you're like, are you with me? Are you paying attention? This is what my wife does to me sometimes. Are you with me? Are you paying attention? They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Verse 27, and he answered them, I've told you already. In other words, I've told you again and again, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Watch this sarcasm. Do you also want to become one of his disciples? Do you, do you want to become one too? Uh, they are probably not enjoying that comment. Verse 28, and they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. In other words, our, our, our faith traditions go so much further back. We have a long history. We're privileged people. We were born into a chosen race and our salvation is because of who our family line is. Verse 29, we know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, they say, these are the Pharisees, we do not know where he comes from. Verse 30, the man answered, the blind man answered, verse 30, Hi, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. Verse 31, we know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone, any, if anyone is a worshiper of God and he does his will, God listens to him. Verse 32, never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Number three, as I said, unbelievers are irrational. The Pharisees were a great example of this. They were incredibly irrational. Uh, they did not believe the miracles. They did not believe this man was born blind. They thought it was a fake healing. Um, they tried to discredit his testimony and what does the blind man do? Uh, he fights back with, with all of their irrational ideas with logic, which is, by the way, a great response that you should have as a believer is be logical with people. The blind man gives a clear logical argument. He says, God doesn't hear sinners. He says, God heard Jesus. 
Uh, the blind man explains the logic and says, only God can heal the congenital blindness. Jesus healed the congenital blindness, and Jesus must be from God. Unbelievers are oftentimes guilty of the irrationality that they accuse believers of. I think I've encountered this. Uh, perhaps you have. You hear somebody say things like, well, if, you know, if God was real, you know, God wouldn't allow an evil world to be around us. Or if there's so many other religions out there, how can you really believe that your religion is the right one? Or they say, it doesn't matter if you believe or not in Jesus. It just matters if you're sincere in your faith and you're a good person. Please don't tell me that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. Come on, give me a break. Or the Bible has lots of mistakes and it shouldn't be taken seriously. Uh, these are the arguments oftentimes that come against the faith. And then my response is oftentimes is if I could show you or prove to you that Jesus truly is the Messiah, would you become a Christian? And oftentimes the response is, no, I wouldn't do that. I'm like, if I could logically prove it to you, would you? No, I, I, no, no. Why not if it's logical? My point in saying that is oftentimes unbelievers will just be irrational. I see a lot of irrationality and abandonment of truth in today's culture in so many different arenas, do we not? It doesn't matter what is true. You portray and communicate truth, people can walk against it. Christians should do what? Christians should be prepared to give a defense for their faith. That's what the Apostle Peter said. You need to be grounded in your faith so you can logically walk people through uh, an understanding of your faith. Uh, J.I. Packer said this, that we need to outthink the world for Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and with all your mind. Your mind is the most powerful vessel, the most powerful organ. It is the primary means in which you make contact with God on a daily basis, the mind. Number four, unbelievers can be incredibly intolerant. They say in verse 34, they answered him, they're mad. They say, you, they start accusing, start assaulting, start slandering. You were born in utter sin, Mr. Blind Man. And you would teach us, in other words, like you're a beggar, we're the professional religious community, you're going to teach us? So they cast him out. They canceled him. They censored him. He's done. He's discredited entirely. The four common characteristics of unbelievers today is unbelievers can be incredibly intolerant. Uh, this means they will not tolerate your voice about Jesus Christ. Now, now, this is not everybody, but this is, a, I really think it is a minority in many realms of the unchurched, at least, that are absolutely intolerant. But the minority gets, a, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. You know what I'm saying? Like it is, uh, if you look back on uh, beliefs, it's like the atheists make up such a small percentage. And they're oftentimes the most hostile towards the Christian faith. But there's such a small percentage of those who hold to that idea of atheism. But unbelievers can be incredibly intolerant. The evidence doesn't matter. Um, I found this interesting, and you've seen it before too, but you do any research or think about it from time for time, you'll see that the vast majority of unbelievers appreciate the good works that the church offers, the charity, the programs to serve the poor, to help the needy. But when it comes to the good news of Jesus Christ, this is when it's time to stop talking. We're not tolerating your beliefs. I read a story about a young girl down in Southern Illinois University, uh, Ed, Edward, Edwardsville. Uh, her name was Maggie, and she was uh, working, she was a grad student trying to present her master's degrees thesis, and she started vocalizing her faith in a public university. She was ostracized, attacked verbally, um, and blacklisted, and censored, and canceled just for speaking up about her faith. Um, unbelievers will not tolerate oftentimes 
uh, the message of Jesus Christ. And so what I want to share with you is some statistics, though, about that there is some hope uh, for the unchurched and the unbelievers today. Um, if you're an outline uh, taker or note maker, you might want to take some notes. But listen to this. I do not want this to be a doom and gloom, the sky is falling message that the church is losing uh, in American culture. But I want to shift gears now and get into some statistics for you. Um, it is true that many churches around the country are in decline, and it's been true for some time. Most of all of those churches are mainline denominations. The reason why the mainline denominations are in decline is because of what I would say biblical and theological liberalism. They have abandoned the authority of the scriptures, they have compromised and given way to cultural ideas and they have not been faithful to God's Word. However, what is on the rise and growing all the time is non-denominational, Christian, Bible-preaching, teaching, Jesus-centered churches like ours. Amen. Let's celebrate that. I think what has happened through COVID and through the politics and the racism stuff that we've seen, it has been a shakeup in our culture. And what you are seeing is Christians are... The cultural Christians, the ritualistic Christians have faded away and the stronger Christian that is committed and actually following Jesus Christ is saying, I will still follow you, Jesus. 79%, um, just so you know, of all of the unchurched in our country say that they're open to have a conversation about Jesus Christ. They're open to have a conversation about Jesus Christ. Uh, they need to hear from you, especially in a time like this. What is needed of the Christian leader in today's time is you serving as a shepherd, helping guide people to make decisions and influence them for good. They don't need you to tell them necessarily what political affiliation they should have. They need you more than anything to model what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ and to live out biblical values and let that influence every decision you make. Amen? You need to be grounded in God's word because it is a sea of unbelievers in so many realms, but they are actually open to conversation if you would just guide them like a good shepherd. And every mom and every dad and every man and every woman, you have influence. You have an influence to be a voice for good, a voice to help that will point people to Jesus Christ. And in a time like this, when there's so much intolerance, you need to tolerate the intolerance. Are you with me? You need to put up with their intolerance, their canceling, their censoring, so that you can still have a voice. Jesus said that you're a light to the world. Jesus said, I'm the light to his disciples for a little while, and then I'm leaving, and then you're the light. So here's what I want to share with you in light of the next 10 years for our church and how we can be a light and how we can reach the unchurched. 12 ways we're going to reach the North Valley for Jesus Christ over the next 10 years. Um, number one, this is, I just want you guys to understand my heart and my style so you can understand. Number one is we will offer what's called life applicational expository preaching. What does that mean? That means every Sunday that you come, you're going to find something that you can apply in your life. You're going to find something that you can figure out how you put it into practice. The Bible says that we're new creation and that we're transformed. And listen, information does not mean transformation. Amen. The more you know doesn't always necessarily mean the more you're going to grow. Information does not equal transformation. What equals transformation? When you allow the Holy Spirit to help influence and apply the Word of God in your life. When you allow God's truth to have a bearing upon your, your activities, when you allow your beliefs to transform your behaviors. Are you with me? So, number one, we offer life applicational pre expository preaching. That means that we're going to go through the Word. Over, we're going to go through the Gospel of John. It might take us another two years, but we're going to go through it. But I promise I'm going to help it make it relational so you, and, and applicational so you can apply it into your life. Uh, number two, we offer open community groups. 
we want people to belong before they believe. I remember a story of my uncle down in, in Texas. He, he did not want to go to church, and he said, I don't like the church. And I'm like, why? He's like, look how big those buildings are. I wonder how big those budgets are. I wonder where all that money's going. He's like, Ryan, I like you. I just don't like the church. I was like, well, have you been to one? No, I don't like it. He said, well, I got invited to a community group, and those people love Jesus. I'm like, well, they go to a church. And he said, yeah, but I won't. And they're not making me. So then Uncle Larry, through relationships, surrenders his life to Jesus Christ, walked out of the New Age movement. I had the chance to baptize him, and he died a year after that. And he's in heaven. And his whole family's changed. My point is, is we're going to offer open community groups. It says you don't have to be a member to be a part of our community groups. If you're skeptical, if you're questioning, you can belong before you believe everything we believe. Leaders, this means that you need to shepherd stronger, that you need to be more aware of the spiritual needs and the spiritual progress of each person in that group. Remember a story of uh, uh, Tom, the Molinowers, Tommy Molinower and the Hansons here in our church. Uh, Tommy uh, hosts a community group, and uh, I'm a part of that community group. And when we have new members show up at our community group, sometimes I'll pause them on the front porch and go, look across the street, look over there. And they're like, yeah, we just want to go in, Pastor Ryan. I'm like, wait, wait, this is good. Look across the street. What do you see? Uh, I see a house. Yes, you see a house. That house is the Hansons' home. And this house, this community group wouldn't be here if that home wasn't here. Well, what do you mean? Well, Tommy didn't want to come to church. He didn't like the buildings, the budgets. He didn't like that, but he loved his neighbors, and his neighbors invited him in. His neighbors had good food. Good food. They had good food. And they shared about Jesus Christ. And over time, Tommy uh, uh, trusted Jesus Christ, was baptized. He and his family have grown in the Lord. And then they opened their own community group. My point is, is we're going to continue to offer community groups. Had we not done that years ago, that family would have never been a part of our church. And there are many more. We're going to offer events to reach our community. This is Truck or Treat, what we did last night. Uh, last night. I don't know. They all blur together right now. Friday night. Uh, we're going to continue to offer events to reach our community. Uh, we redeemed that uh, weekend, uh, this weekend, and used it for good. I love it. Um, is there evil that goes on with Halloween? Absolutely there is. But we can take something and we can make it, make it and use it and redeem it for the name of Jesus. We had hundreds and hundreds of kids that had never been on our campus before. Our volunteers' faces were lit up we have new kids and new families uh, planning on attending and being a part of our church. Maybe you, one of you here today, are here because we did a truck or treat. I know in the first service that happened as well. Um, we're going to continue to offer uh, outreach opportunities for our community. We're going to empower our congregation and invite other people. This is just relational evangelism. We're gonna, we want to encourage you, empower you um, to invite people to church. Let me move through these bullet points a little quicker. Like I said, we're going to empower our congregation to invite others. This means that you're simply inviting people to church. Uh, we're going to share and show the love of Jesus Christ locally and globally. This looks like our Mexico missions. We're going to continue to do that. We're going to continue to launch out CARES teams. Uh, recently, we have a team, just FYI, that goes out into the community, regardless of the individual in need, is a member of our church, attended our church or not, we go serve them could be a widow. It could be somebody that's down on their luck, uh, behind in bills, a single mom. We show up and we serve them. Uh, we've been doing that. We're going to continue to do that. Um, we're going to start new churches. We've been doing that. We will do that. We helped start uh, Mission Grove over in the Desert Ridge area. They're doing great. They're opening up their first building very, very soon. Most churches don't make it. That's been the graveyard of church plants, by the way, for the last decade. And that church is going to make it. We've got a partnership in Scotland. When you give to our hope offering every month, we're sending money to Scotland to plant a new church in Scotland. We're going to reach them in. We have and we will. Most of the men that I know come here and say, I like this church. I'm like, good. We're building it so that you would like it. Why do we reach the men? Well, the Bible calls the man to be the, the head of the household. 
So if all we do is grab the ladies or grab the kids, we cut the man out. So we're going to be very, very intentional to reach men in this church. We have been and we will be. Why else? Well, let me explain some logic to you. Research says that if you reach the kids with the church, 3.5% chance that the whole family will come. You reach the wife, it's a 17% chance the whole family's going to come. You reach the man, 93% chance the entire family will come. Isn't that good? You bring that man, you reach that man, that man says, come on, we're all going to church. Man, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you for serving. I'm proud of you for modeling. When you screw up, you fess up. You tell Jesus you need forgiveness. You move on. You get healthy. You keep pressing forward. You lead in your business. You lead in your family. You, you lay down your life like Jesus laid down his life for the church. For the next 10 years, let's build a strong, healthy church. Amen? We're going to equip the next generation. Our kids get a great, solid education. They learn the Bible twice before they get into junior high. We've established a guides program for our junior high and our high school. So we develop student leaders. At junior high, these kids, if you ever see them, they're wearing red shirts. That means that they're a leader. That means they're a student leader. And we're giving them a vision and ambition of what does it look like to be a, a student leader, a servant leader for Jesus Christ. They're called guides because they're supposed to help guide along the little ones. So many churches have a disconnect of having their junior high and high school uh, kids once they graduate to get back into the church. But we're building a church together where the entire family is perhaps mobilized for ministry and mission. This is why at Mexico, you can see that the kids come. My daughter, who's 11 years old, she's been on four house builds. She tells her friends, I'm not going skiing for spring break. I'm going to go build a house. And they say, no, you're not telling the truth. And she's like, I built four, I'll build five. So we're going to continue to equip the next generation for Jesus Christ. We're going to reach an active, outdoorsy community. Why? Phoenix is a huge recreation industry. This whole valley, we need platforms and, and ways to connect with people. And I'm, I'm going to give you one. We're going to do it together. We're going to reach an active outdoorsy community. What does that mean? It means that we're going to lean in to all those that would rather play than worship. It means that those that say, oh man, I can't be at church. I got to go to my cabin I, I really would love to go to church, but I'm going to, I'm on an RV trip. Man, I'd love to go to church, but I'm going on a biking trip, a hiking trip, a hunting trip, a fishing trip. I'm going to overland. I'm going to go recreate. Well, we're going to lean, lean in and reach those people. How are we going to do that? We're going to launch a Thursday night service. We're going to launch a Thursday night service that's going to be able to say to those folks, hey, you go recreate for the mighty name of Jesus Christ on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. We'll see you on Thursday. We're going to launch a Thursday night service. We'll add new services in the coming years, uh, maybe as soon as January. I want you to be thinking about it. I want you to be praying about it. You can go to the lake on the weekends. You can go recreate on the weekends. We got climbers, hunters, fishers, all those folks here in our church. And what if, what, what if... The church was mobilized to go into those areas that they love and share and show the love of Jesus Christ. I don't know. I just want to do church different. I, I know it's not an easy time to talk about ramping up all these things, but these things have been on our heart for a very long time. And there's a lot of people that need to know and love Jesus Christ. I think about also the opportunity that could happen here is the Black Canyon City, the New River, and all the bedroom communities along the I-17 corridor. Do you know what they do? They commute. They commute and they drive in Monday through Friday all the way down I-17. A freeway church has unique advantages that a lot of churches don't. 
They drive in Monday through Friday. Imagine the single mom who does that. She drives in from New River, from Black Canyon City. She drives in and she works her butt off all day long, gets the kids in school, picks them up, and then drives back. And then on Friday, she's exhausted. And then guess what? Does she want to come into town to go grocery shopping? Does she want to come in town to go to church? No way. But if we offered a Thursday night service, they could stop off on Thursday after work. We'd have a kids club for them. We'd open up our grill at 5.30 p.m., feed them. We'd offer a worship service for them. And then they'd be on their way and out of here Thursday night. And then they can go and they can go do whatever they need to do. This will also reach the working people that cannot get out of work on the weekends. This would also empower all those that live too far and don't want to come in. And this would also encourage and exhort believers that love the outdoors to get outdoors and go recreate in the mighty name of Jesus. I had somebody come up to me and said, man, if you would have had a Thursday night service, I'd have been at the lake today. I wouldn't have been here today. Pray for us in that. We're going to serve the fatherless. We're going to serve the fatherless. We're, we're going to do that. We've been doing that. We're going to continue to do that. I want to share with you just a great story and thankful for it. Um, Phil Steenstra is a, a father mentor for our, uh, our program. We have a young pro, a program called Fathers in the Field. And what we do as a church is we mentor fatherless boys. Get the word out. Single moms that have fatherless boys, we give them father mentors. Phil is one of those mentors. This week was a tough week. We had a lot of different things going on. To make matters worse, Phil stumbles out of the back of a, a truck. He's uh, one of our employees. Uh, stumbles out of the back of a truck, falls to the ground, <laughs> dislocates his shoulder, his clavicle, his shoulder is all up here. Find him on the ground over here by North Valley Kids Building. He's like, oh, Pastor Ryan, I got to cancel my hunting trip this weekend. Oh, Pastor Ryan, I have a fathers in the field gathering tonight. Little cam man's got a baseball game. Oh, I got to go to the hospital. Fire truck shows up, ambulance shows up. We get him. He goes to the hospital. And then I get a text message from the baseball game two hours later. And he's like, we're all good. I'm at the baseball game. I'm like, that is a true North Valley man's man right there takes a licking and keeps on ticking. We need to give generously at our church. I want to challenge you to think tithes, not just giving, to fund and fuel ministry and missions at this pace that we're at. It's not going to work unless we're giving generously. We have commitments in Scotland. is the very first commitment we've done ongoing, and money just pours out every month. But this is God's church, amen? And as believers, what we got to do is we got to fund and fuel the ministry and the missions, and we do that together. If we work better together, we're going to have a greater impact. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that um, in our time moving ahead, we just worship you and thank you for the work that you're doing in our lives, in our church, and pray that we would be a part of that. Father, for all those that may feel a little distant from you and not sure where they're at, I pray that today would be the day that says, I'm giving my life to Jesus Christ, I'm surrendering my life right here and now, and I'm ready for you to make a change in my life. I acknowledge my sin. I believe you, Jesus, to be the forgiver of sin. I confess you as my Lord. Save me. And Father, for all of us, might you empower us to share and show the love of Jesus to our friends and our family that are in great need. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to support North Valley Church by partnering with us through giving, you can do so by visiting us online at northvalley.org. Thanks and have a great day.